So take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 4. Luke chapter 4. And whenever you find uh, your place, if you wouldn't mind to stand as we honor the Word of God this morning. <clears throat> you guys have been uh, spoiled with this uh, three, two to three verse sermons, okay? We've got, we've got about 15 verses to read this morning. Uh, that's just how we do it here. We just take the next thought and the next thought. I will say um, this, this uh, verses 14 through 30 is one episode, and they really go together, but I am going to take it in two, in two stabs, okay? This will be part one of this, of this uh, incredible account. I'm really excited about it as Luke uh, picks up in verse number 14. You there? Say amen. <clears throat> and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the, the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Hey, there are no orphans, you God. Mm -hmm. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20, and he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were, that were in the synagogue were fastened, fastened upon him. Fastened on him. Excuse me. Verse 21, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me, This proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, the city of Zidon, unto a woman who was a widow, that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisuis, Elisuis, that's how you say it, that's Elisha there in the Greek, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in that synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereupon the city was built and that, that they might cast him down headlong. And he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. So today, we're going to preach a message titled this. Today is the day of salvation. This day, today, is the day of of salvation. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this great account. Thank you, God, for sending your son, sending the Messiah to come to heal the brokenhearted, to recite the blind, Lord, to preach the gospel to the poor. 
thank you, God, for coming and offering salvation, the acceptable will of the Lord. Help us, God, to, to realize that, recognize that, and, and Lord, apply that to our life. Help me as I declare your word this morning, that you be glorified by it. Christ, I pray, amen, amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> and so Luke, in our account, skips the first few months of Jesus' public ministry, and he brings us right to Jesus' Galilean ministry, where he ministers about a year and a half in Galilee. Right after uh, Luke described the temptation of wilderness, uh, I'm sorry, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, we, we dealt with that for several weeks. He says in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. Well, Jesus' ministry actually began with his first miracle in a place called Cana where he turned the water into wine, his first miracle there at the wedding of Cana. After that, so that's where he went after his temptation in the wilderness. And then after that, he went to the north end of the Sea of Galilee to a city called Capernaum, and where he ministered there for a few, uh, for a few days and performed some miracles. Jesus referred to that in our passage in verse 23. And then he went back south to Judea in Jerusalem, where he ministered for many months, in his first Judean ministry. Okay, you following me? So he had the temptation in the wilderness. He went to Cana, then to Capernaum, and then to Judea, and was there for several months in what we know as the Judean ministry. It was after that where Jesus returned to Galilee. Back to Galilee. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three don't give those details I just gave you, uh, but John does. In John chapter 1 through 4, he fills in the gap from from the, from the temptation of the wilderness until the, where we pick up in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Now, why, did he do, why does he do that? Why did Luke leave some of that out? Well, uh, I think it's at the end of John where he said, if we were to write down everything he'd done, we would fill up volumes. And so Luke had to be very selective, obviously all the gospel writers did, about which story, which, which account of Jesus' life uh, they would say. And so Luke, he picked up, this story right after Jesus' first few months of ministry in Capernaum and Judea, and he's returning to Galilee. Luke was, was very thoughtful, okay? Luke thought very hard about which accounts he chose to include in, the, in his gospel account. The temptation of Christ we dealt with the last few weeks, it showed us that Jesus was qualified to be the Messiah, right? Jesus was able to defeat sin. Jesus was able to defeat temptation. Jesus was able to defeat Satan and thus qualified to be our Savior, right? He couldn't save us from our sin if he wasn't able to defeat sin all on his own. And so, so Luke talked about that. And now Luke brings us straight to Jesus in Nazareth to show us this. And here's what, G, what Luke is doing. is He showed us that Jesus was qualified to be the Messiah. And now what Luke is doing is he's showing us why he came at all. Luke is giving us the reason. He's given us the the mission of Christ, right here explained in this account in Nazareth. We're going to see why Jesus came, and we're going to see how Jesus, how people rejected Christ even. You read it. They took him to the edge of the city, to the edge of the cliff, and were ready to throw him off. And maybe you've wondered, why, why would anybody reject Jesus? How could anybody hear who Jesus is, know the facts about what he did and, and who he was and what he said, and still reject him. And, and there's a lot of reasons that we can come up with. 
that we, why, why people might reject him, but we're going to see over the next couple weeks, really, ultimately, there's just one reason why someone who knows who Jesus is and has heard the facts about him and what he has said and what he has done and still reject him. There's really ultimately one reason for that. And so Jesus came to Galilee. <clears throat> and his fame began to grow. Look in verse 14. And he returned, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And there went out a, <clears throat> a fame of him throughout all the region about. And so much of, of Je- Jesus was be- being, becoming famous. Much was being said about him. Much was being said about who he was and what he was doing, but not so much really because of the miracles he performed. He did perform some miracles along the way, but really his fame was growing because of his teaching ministry. Look at verse 15. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And so a synagogue, he would teach in those synagogues, and he did that for about a year and a half there in Galilee. A synagogue is is where Jews would come, and they'd come every Sabbath day to hear the Word of God read, hear the Word of God explained, and then the Word of God applied. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? They come to the, to the house of God at the time, and they would hear the Word preached, and they would hear how it applied to their life. So basically the main thing that would happen in a synagogue is the rabbi would, would get up, he'd read a portion of Scripture, and then as we saw in our passage, which really cool, which maybe we should bring back, is he went and he sat down and then preached the sermon. Huh? I like it. And everyone else stood up. What do you think? Should we? No, we don't do that. But that's what they would do. They would get up. They'd read the portion. Sometimes they would just read through. Sometimes, like in our case, a visiting rabbi would come, and he would be able to, to pick where which passage he was going to deal with that day. And they would come, and, and, and the, the minister of the, of, the, of the synagogue would bring them the scroll. They'd open the scroll, read the text, and then they'd sit down and, and explain it and give the explanation and the apply the application of that passage and that's exactly what jesus did in the synagogues in galilee for a year and a half now as you can imagine jesus was a pretty good preacher (laughs) yeah nobody was able to read and explain the scripture like jesus did wouldn't you love to be in one of those synagogue services i would as god himself the very Word made flesh. He had perfect knowledge of every passage of Scripture. He knew exactly what every verse meant and why it was written. He would give a perfectly accurate, a perfectly clear explanation of every text he ever preached. Pretty awesome. And then, as John says in John 2.25, he knew what was in man. He was God. He knew what was in man. And so he knew exactly what each person in that synagogue was going through. He knew what they were experiencing. He knew what they were struggling with. And he knew exactly how to take that passage and apply it directly to their heart. And so he he began to become famous in the area. The Bible says he was glorified by all. And so he was doing that. He was going through the region of Galilee. That's, a, that's not a city. That's a region of Israel. And then he came to a synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth, where he grew up. And as we know from Luke 126, Jesus and his family were, were from a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the reason Luke put it that way is because it was a small town. It was a little town. No one knew really much about Nazareth. Actually, it was kind of a joke. People would remember when they heard that Jesus was the Messiah and he was from Nazareth, people would say, 
can anything good come from Nazareth? It was just a small little podunk fishing town. Yep. And Jesus came to Nazareth, and he came to that synagogue. It would have been the same synagogue he grew up attending as a child every Sabbath day. He would have seen familiar faces there. He would have seen siblings, childhood friends, aunts, uncles, others that he would have came to synagogue every week with as a child. This would be the same synagogue where he would come every Sabbath to hear the rabbi open the scriptures and read the passage and preach the sermon. But today was different, wasn't it? Today, Jesus would be the preacher. Today, Jesus would be the one who would read the passage and preach the sermon. Now, remember, <clears throat> Jesus didn't begin his public ministry until that day when, when he was baptized by John the Baptist. That was the beginning of his public ministry. He was 30 years old, and that is when he really began to come out and, and tell people that he was the Messiah. Until that point, he purposefully hid who he was. He, he, didn't, he didn't make a big scene about who he was. Until then, until that day that John baptized him, Mary and Joseph really would have been the only ones who had any clue that Jesus was the Messiah. He grew up just like a normal boy in a small town. He was the son of a carpenter. Nothing special. Nobody in Nazareth growing up looked at Jesus and said, one day he's going to grow up and be a rabbi. No one thought that. He never, he never wowed them by his teaching. Now, he did that in the temple, remember, when as a child, and, and, he, and when they went back to Jerusalem, and, and he did that, and he, he, profounded, he confounded the teachers there. But when he came back home, on purpose, he, he hid who he was. They were not expecting this, right? They would have been excited that the boy from Nazareth is this famous preacher, right? But they would have also been shocked. They would have been, like, uh, not concerned, but uh, interested in this. Like, what is going to happen here? Little Jesus is back, and he's preaching a sermon. Okay? This is the feeling of what's happening here in our passage. And so, in verse 17, <clears throat> Jesus, um, verse, the end of verse 16, I'm sorry, uh, he stood up to read. He stood up for to read. And he enters the synagogue, and he was given the scroll of Isaiah, in verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. So it doesn't say it, but there's a good chance he told the synagogue where he was going to be. It could be that they were just in the middle of Isaiah, and God does that, doesn't he? We're just right here in the middle of Luke, and it just ha so happens to be exactly what God wanted us to hear this morning. And you might be here, and this is exactly what God wants you to hear this morning. So he could it could have been that way, but potentially he asked for the scroll of Isaiah. It doesn't say, but he gets the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens to the book uh, of Isaiah to Isaiah 61, and he began reading verse 18 is the same. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, where he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovery and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty uh, them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, this was a this Isaiah 61 is a messianic prophecy. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that Isaiah 61 was talking about the promised Messiah, the day that he would finally come. And, and growing up, Jesus would have heard the rabbi say, one day the Messiah will be here. One day the Messiah will come. Blessed are they that will be here when the Messiah comes. And, 
And they knew all about the Messiah. They knew exactly what Isaiah 61 meant. It was talking about the Messiah, the one that was promised in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of man, who would bruise the seed of the woman. I'm sorry, uh, he would be the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of Satan. He would be the seed of Abraham that by which all nations would be blessed. He's the seed of David by who, who will have the throne of David and, and have an everlasting kingdom. That Messiah, the one spoken of a few chapters before Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 53, who would be the one who would be bruised for our iniquities and by whose stripes we are healed. This is God himself who would come to save mankind from their sin and then eventually would set up a kingdom and he would have an everlasting kingdom. He would rule the, the, the world uh, for a thousand years with a rod of iron and then have an everlasting kingdom. This is that same Messiah that, that Isaiah 61 was referring to. And in Isaiah 61, what's happening really is that promised Messiah is speaking, right? It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the, the Messiah, when he comes, will say this, right? That's what Isaiah 61 said. And everyone in the synagogue knew that. Oh yeah, this is what the Messiah will say when he comes. And he'll say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Messiah would be specially anointed by God and used in a special way by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when, when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit anointed him? Yeah. Because, continues, he hath appointed me, the Messiah will say, to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what the Messiah would say. Now, he's not talking about physically poor. He's not coming to make people rich and give people lots of money. He's not talking about the physically brokenhearted. He's not a heart doctor. <laughs> the physically captive. He's not talking about the physically blind, the physically bruised. The Messiah was coming to rescue those who are spiritually poor, who are spiritually brokenhearted, spiritually captive, spiritually blind, and spiritually bruised. He's talking about the lost. He's talking about those who are lost in sin. This, listen, this is a description of all of us before we're saved. This is all of us before we're saved. The sinner is poor spiritually. He has nothing to offer God. And you have nothing to offer God. The sinner's brokenhearted. He's missing something in his soul. He's unfulfilled. He's empty. The sinner is a captive to sin, prisoner to sin, under the judgment, under the condemnation of God because of his sin. The sinner is blind. He cannot see God on his own. He cannot understand what's right on his own. He cannot understand the truth on his own. He has eyes, but he cannot see. The sinner's bruised. He's overwhelmed by the problems of life. He's afflicted, he's defeated by the burdens of his sin and the sins around him. And no matter, listen, no matter how hard the sinner tries on his own, he will never seem to find true rest. This is the lost. This is us. This is who the Messiah came to save. He came to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the blind, and the bruised, and he was going to bring 
good news. He was going to bring healing. He was going to bring deliverance. He was going to bring sight. He was going to bring liberty. He came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of salvation. That's the passage that Jesus read. And he stopped his reading. By the way, he stopped his reading right in the middle of Isaiah verse 61, verse 2. He read all of verse 1, and he read the first part of verse 2, and he stopped right in the middle of the sentence. And he closed the scroll, and he sat down. It's pretty cool. Can you see it? He gets up and he reads. The custom, again, I told you in the synagogue is that when the rabbi finished the reading, <clears throat> he would sit down and then explain what he had just read and give the sermon. And so he finished the reading and closed the book halfway between verse 2. Right after verse 2 says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the next words it says this, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus, listen, listen. Jesus purposefully stopped the reading in the middle of a sentence and closed the book. And he gave it back to the minister of the synagogue and he sat down. And he, on purpose, listen, he on purpose did not read in the day of vengeance of our God. And so verse 20, the eyes of all them were, were uh, in the synagogue, were fastened upon him. They're like, dude, he didn't finish the verse. Right? He closes the book, and he goes and he sits down, and everyone's looking at him. They're wondering, why didn't he finish? What about the day of vengeance? That's what they wanted. Hey, the first century Jews, they were looking forward to the day, the acceptable year of the Lord, the day the Messiah would come and, and heal the brokenhearted and, and all of that. But really what they were wanting, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming to bring the day of vengeance. That's what they wanted. They, wanted the, they were looking forward to the day that God would finally pour his wrath upon his enemies. They hated that they were occupied by the Romans. They, they, they hated that. And so they were hoping, they were looking forward to the day, not when Jesus, listen, they weren't looking forward to the day that Jesus would come and save them from their sin. They were looking forward to the day that Jesus would come and save them from Rome. And they were so, listen, they were so focused on the problems of Rome that they neglected to see the problem within them. So Jesus read, read those verses, and he didn't read about the day of vengeance. He only mentioned the Messiah would come and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he said this in verse 21. Look at verse 21. This is awesome. And he began to say unto them, by the way, there's probably a lot more to his sermon than this. He began, it was probably a long, he probably had a big bucket, right, Brother Tim? I bet you he preached a long time. Uh, anyway, but he said this, this day, this is so cool, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Are you seeing what's happening? Jesus told them that in their very ears, they just witnessed the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. That's pretty cool. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would come and say these words, and they just witnessed with their very ears the Messiah saying those words. 
He was the one. He was the one who had preached the acceptable day of the Lord. He was the one who had come to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the blind, and the bruised. And he was the one that was going to bring the good news to bring the healing and the deliverance and sight and liberty. He was, listen, Jesus at that moment was offering salvation to those in that synagogue. He was claiming to be the Messiah right there. Right there. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That's cool. That's awesome. Now one day, Jesus will proclaim the day of vengeance. That same Jesus, one day, will proclaim the day of vengeance. But that part's not been fulfilled yet. Aren't you thankful Jesus stopped the reading where he did? Yeah. Jesus came to fulfill the first part of Isaiah 61 too. The day of vengeance is still future. <clears throat> but right there, in that moment, the people in that synagogue were the spiritually poor, the spiritually brokenhearted, captive, blind, and bruised. They were in need of a Savior. Right then, in their ears, the Messiah himself was proclaiming to them the acceptable year of the Lord. He was offering to them salvation, but they would, listen, but here's the problem. They were going to have to admit that they were in need of salvation. They were going to have to admit that, yeah, Rome has a lot of problems, but really, I have a big problem. They were going to have to admit that, and they had a problem admitting that. Right now, in your ears, listen, Jesus is proclaiming to you the acceptable year of the Lord. If you haven't been saved, if you haven't been forgiven of your sin, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, if you've never asked God to forgive you because of what Jesus did on the cross, then here's what you are. You're the spiritually poor. You have nothing to offer God. You're the spiritually brokenhearted. There's something missing in your soul. You're the spiritually captive to your sin. You're the spiritually blind to the truth of God. You're the spiritually bruised, overwhelmed by your sin. The good news is this. Jesus has come. The Messiah is here. Messiah 6, Isaiah 61.1 has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. He has come to offer to you a salvation. He's come to offer to you life. He's come to offer to you sight and freedom from your sin. And listen, Jesus already paid the price. And this time he hadn't yet, but he was about to. That's why he came. Jesus came to pay the price to offer salvation. And God couldn't just come and give salvation to us just because He loves us. Although he, he does love you, but He cannot just come and just forgive you just because He loves you. No, you're a sinner, and your sin needs to be paid for. He's a just God. He's a holy God. He cannot just ignore your sin. He can't. No matter how much He loves you, He cannot just ignore your sin. Your sin needs to be paid for. And you can pay for your sin. But it's not by doing a lot of good things. It's not by being baptized. It's not by coming to church and giving your tithe. It's not by singing uh, you know, worship songs and all of that. That's not how you pay for your sins. In fact, if you want to pay for your sins, there's only one way, 
and it's to suffer the wrath of God for all eternity in a very real place called hell. That is the only way that you can pay for your sin. God doesn't want that for you. God loves you. He knows who you are. He knew what was in them. He knows what's in you. He knows your sin. He knows you have nothing to offer Him. You're not going to impress God. You're not going to do enough things that now God is going to accept you. No, not at all. You're the spiritually poor. He knows you're captive, slave to your sin. He knows you're blind and you don't know what to do. He knows who you are. He knows what you deserve. And by the way, one day he will dish out his wrath upon this earth. He doesn't want to. The day of the vengeance of the Lord is real. One day that same Jesus who came and preached that message in that synagogue, the same Jesus who three, three years later would die on the cross, that same Jesus who we sang about, what a friend we have in Jesus, our Savior, one day he's coming back, and he's not coming back to be the Savior anymore. He's coming back to be the judge. He's going to come back to pour his wrath on this earth. He's going to come back for the day of vengeance of our God. And the, and the wrath of God will be poured on this earth. And God knows that. And he doesn't want you to experience that. And Jesus knows that as God. He didn't want the people in that synagogue to experience that. And so he came to this earth. He became a human so that he can, so that he can pay the price for your sin. So that he can bear the wrath of God in his own body and nail it to a cross. That's why Jesus came. He came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that, my friends, a long year. It's been going on for 2,000 years. We are still, listen, we are still in the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus, right now, in your ears, is offering salvation. But it's only because of what Christ did on the cross. You're not a good enough person. You're not. You're poor. That's why Jesus died. If there's Listen, if there's never been a time in your life where you prayed to God, recognized your condition, recognized that what I described to you the life of a sinner, the poor, the blind, the defeated, the, the bruised and the broken, the heartbroken, the empty. If you recognize that's you, you have nothing to offer God, you're, you're empty without Him, and you know that you deserve the bruising, you know that you deserve the, the, the captivity, you know that you deserve the wrath of God. If you know that's you, and you understand that's you, then here's what Jesus did. He offered deliverance. He died for you. And if you've never prayed and admitted your need to God, and by faith, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because, and His blood alone was enough, and then ask Jesus to forgive you, ask God to forgive you of all your sins, if you've never done that, then you're still in that condition. If you've never done that, the day of the vengeance of the Lord is hanging over your head. And that day could come any moment. Yeah, there's coming a day where well, he's going to pour wrath upon, upon this earth. And for seven years, it's called the Great Tribulation. You don't want to be here. At any moment, listen, at any moment, Jesus could come back and take those who have been forgiven back with him to heaven. And at any moment, he could pour wrath on this earth. It could happen before the end of this sermon. 
it could happen. But you don't have to, to, to miss the rapture to, to face the wrath of God. You're not promised another day of life. The moment, the moment you pass in this life, your year of the Lord, your acceptable year of the Lord, your day of salvation is done. The day you close your eyes in death, your day of vengeance has begun if you've never accepted Christ. God doesn't want that for you. That's why He came. That's why He did what we read about. That's why the God of creation came and became a man named Jesus Christ. That's why He died on the cross. That's why He took the wrath of God in His own body, because He loves you and He wants for you to not experience His wrath. He wants to be your Savior so that He does not have to be your judge. The problem is, not everyone accepts this message. And we're going to see next week, they were not happy about this in the synagogue. They're the ones that got to hear the Messiah say, Isaiah 61:1. That should have been awesome. And if they knew who they were, and if they had admitted to themselves that they were a sinner, a deserving of God's wrath, if they would have admitted to themselves that they were spiritually poor and destitute, that they had nothing to offer God, if they would have admitted that instead of, instead of being so upset with the Gentiles and Rome and everybody else's problems, if they would have recognized their own problem, then they would have rejoiced that day because they would have accepted the, the, uh, the uh, Messiah and they would have accepted the life that he promised, but they rejected him. Why? Because they did not see themselves as in need of a Savior. And they try to come up with excuses. We'll talk about it next week. Oh, you're the guy we grew up with. Oh, you need to perform a miracle. No, no, Jesus is saying, no. The problem here is not you accepting who I am. The problem here is you accepting who you are. You need to understand who you are. If you're lost today, you're not enough. You need what Jesus did for you, and, and his blood alone, to, to escape the, the judgment of God. But if you're saved today, can I tell you this? You're still not enough. We get so worked up about a society that has rejected God. We get so worked up about how the lost don't want God. They're spiritually poor. That's who the lost is. That was, that was Israel's hang-up, wasn't it? At least we're not the Gentiles, you know? No, no, no. You're no better than the Gentiles. You're no better than this lost world. You're still spiritually poor. You're still spiritually captive if it wasn't for God. God's the one who brings freedom. You're no better than anybody. The only thing that's good about your life is what God has done in your life. Remember that. And whenever, listen, whenever we get so upset about the evil around us that we're blind to the evil within us, that's when problems start arising. And that's why God said judgment, and Peter, judgment begins in the house of God. We're the ones that are supposed to be right with God. Often we're not. Why? Often it's because we've convinced ourselves that we're not as bad as others. We don't really need God anymore. He's already saved us. We're already forgiven. We're Christians. We're members of Valley Avenue Baptist Church. 
We don't need this no more. Wrong-o. <laughs> you need it just as much as you did the day you got saved. You know better than anybody. What are we here to do? We're just here to proclaim. Preach. The acceptable year of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. If you have not been saved, you are not promised tomorrow. You are not promised the end of this service. You are not promised the ride home. Today is the day of salvation. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. If you have never had your sins forgiven, it needs to be taken care of. There's urgency to this. Jesus said, today is the day that I'm preaching to you. Salvation is in your ears right now. You have an opportunity in your ears to hear the gospel of our God, to hear what the Messiah has done for you. Don't close your ears. Don't wait for another day. You're not promised another day. But if you're saved this morning, this is what we need to be about. Not by bashing and criticizing and being so angry with the world lost in sin, but doing what Jesus did, bringing life to this world, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. Because people need to know that today is the day of salvation. Let's stand together. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Is anyone here this morning and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I've been saved. Pastor, I don't know that I've accepted Christ's blood on the cross. I don't, I don't know if, if, my, if I've accepted the acceptable year of the Lord. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve wrath. And I don't know if there's a day in my life that I've prayed and asked God to forgive me. If that's you this morning, I'd like to pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point at you and make you come up here. All I'd like to do is pray for you. We pray that you would that, that before you leave this life, that you would accept what Christ did on the cross. If that's you this morning, if you don't know that you're saved, you wouldn't mind to raise your hand. We'll pray for you. Anyone like that? Pastor, I don't know if I were to die today, my sins are forgiven. Pastor, I don't know that if I were to die today, that my, that my day of judgment wouldn't begin. I don't know that. I want to know that. We'll pray for you. Give that hand. Give that hand. Others. Let's pray. God, we pray for those today. Lord, those that raised their hand and, and perhaps those who needed to raise their hand but they didn't. But God, they recognize their need. They know that if they were to die today, Lord, that they would face your judgment. They've never really come to grips with their sin, the judgment of it. God, I just pray that you help them to see their need, help them to see what Christ did for them on the cross, so that you would bring conviction, that they would come and this altar and get it settled and have their sins forgiven, and, and Lord, be able to look forward to a day, not of judgment, but a day to be with you for eternity. And God, I pray for us that are saved. Lord, help us to have a burden for the lost. Help us, like Jesus did, to see with eyes of compassion, Lord, humanity who has rejected you, humanity who is spiritually poor and, and captive in their sin and on their way to the devil's hell. Help us to be, Lord, burdened and stirred, not angry, but, but stirred and burdened, compassionate. And God, please light a fire within us that we would proclaim as you did. 
whom you sent your son to preach the acceptable yoke of you. We love you. Christ, and I pray. Amen. Brother Josh is going to play. If you need to do business with God,